0: So I guess you need to huat me, and then I'll huat you, and then you I'll can start talking with the Netflix. How about that? Yeah.
1: All right, let's go. All right. Okay. <laughs> this is all
0: this right. is the most of all the research I go looking at about. The hardest part for me is, wait, who goes first? That is the most <laughs> complicated part of this whole thing for me.
1: Do I huat you? Do you huat me? Yes. What's what's going on?
0: Recorded in our Nerd Haven studios. This is Pop Medicine. Your host, Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina Mack discussing the intersection of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis. And now, back to your podcast. What, Doc? What, Nina?
1: All right. I feel like I need to apologize to you, because I recommended a Netflix show to you, and uh, you had an unpleasant experience.
0: Yes, uh, I did. I know the show you're going to talk about, and I did not enjoy it.
1: And the show I'm talking about is The History of Swear Words on Netflix, hosted by the one and only everyone's favorite over Nicholas Cage.
0: Now I, I should say I thought Nicolas Cage himself he's as advertised in this. He is the cage yes. that you want. He is one of the good parts of the, of this series.
1: He's the cage you want and deserve yes.
0: too. Oh I I'm glad you think I deserve this cage. <laughs>
1: We we all deserve a little Nicolas Cage every now and then. But no, I, I watched uh, several episodes of this and I thought, okay, so I, I wonder what Doc thinks of this show. And I recommended it to you. And your reaction was?
0: I really, really, really hated this show.
1: <laughs> which surprised me.
0: Every episode is 20 minutes long, which means yeah. every episode is about 17 and a half minutes too long. Uh, there are... <laughs> They it basically it's Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage, which is good. Mm-hmm. They've got yeah. a couple of straight up linguists, lexicographers on there, and what they say is right and true. And you get about ninety seconds, maybe total, of them in every episode of telling us the legit stuff. And then there's some. I'm not going to insult them, but
1: they've got comedians. There's
0: some comedians uh, and and others who maybe are kind of tangential and what they say is I found it unentertaining, unedifying. And as I think I said to you, I felt stupider as the episodes went on. (laughs) Like I understood less uh, than I understood before. Uh, But um, if they had edited out everything, but the couple of uh, linguists in there, I actually would have enjoyed it more. And frankly, it would have been funnier because the comedians are not really bringing their A game to this.
1: Yeah, this, this show is decidedly light on education. And as you said, uh, in your opinion, light on the humor. I, I found it. I found some things very chuckle worthy. There were a couple of my favorite comedians on the show. And, and you're right, they, they weren't bringing their A game. But I do enjoy their stand ups. Now, this is going to be an interesting episode because we're talking about a show called the history of swear words. We can't We can't talk about the show without swearing ourselves. I was going to say, we can't can't pussyfoot around on this show. Exactly. So this episode is probably going to be our one and only episode where we're going to just take the E rating, the explicit rating, and just swear. So with that in mind, let's get into it and talk about why you really did not like this series from an educator standpoint.
0: Okay, so from an educator standpoint, The things that the linguist said were right. And I really liked those parts. I really wish they had done a little bit more of just defining a handful of terms. I think if there are a small handful of terms that you know, you can get pretty far. Uh, So we can talk about terms now if you're ready for that. Or do you want to talk about what you like? Okay.
1: No, let's go ahead. Let's get into some terms.
0: Okay. So so let's start with a big one. And that word is taboo. Languages have different taboos. And every language will have taboos. Words that you're not supposed to say. Now, these taboos can be good or bad. Uh, Sometimes words are taboo because they are about things that are forbidden because they're terrible. So most languages will have things having to do with uh, sexual activity, human waste, things that are considered disgusting, sometimes having to do with death. These things are sometimes, are, are very often taboos in many, many cultures. And Words associated with them often are, and then there' are actually also what you would consider maybe a good taboo, and that is sometimes names for gods you know, so for example, it is taboo for me to refer to my parents by their first name uh, mm-hmm. in in our culture and the and the reason for that is not because my parents are disgusting in some way, <laughs> uh, rather is to honor them in some way, so that creates other taboo so there are both of these kinds of things. So taboos are in no way unique to English. Uh, They're in no way unique to any particular cultural moment. The particulars of the taboos are related to the culture though. And then we have something called euphemism. So there's taboos and then there's euphemism. And euphemism is simply a way that we will talk around a taboo by saying the taboo, right? So Jiminy Cricket, for example, uh, is a name that is based around a blasphemous taboo, for example, right? Golly or... Cheese uh, and crackers. Cheese and crackers, yes. These are all, these are all euphemisms. Uh, so we have euphemisms. So we have taboo and euphemisms. And those are in no way unique to English or to medieval language. And then there are two other things which are going to be really important for understanding this through time. And these are pejoration and amelioration. And what pejoration is, is that sometimes words will become worse in their meaning over time. Now, worse doesn't have to mean they're bad. So a good example of one would be awesome. If you go back 50 years, awesome meant it fills you with awe. Uh, Mm -hmm. God can be awesome. A mountain range can be awesome. Uh, The night sky. The night sky can be awesome, yes. These kinds of things that just fill you with awe. Uh, Cool Ranch Doritos could not be awesome, right? And awesome (laughs) has been pejorated. And again, it isn't to say that awesome is bad today. If I said something was awesome, you wouldn't say, well, that's terrible. You would simply say, well, that's not as good as it used to be. And so words will get worse over time. There are lots of words that do this. There are some categories. Words about smell tend to get worse over time. Uh, words that had to do with people who have a disability because their IQ is 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 very low. Uh, those mm-hmm. words. So you get words like uh, idiot, cretin, moron that all began as medical uh, terms or euphemisms that then pedrate over time to just become, you know, uh, insults. And then we have amelioration. And amelioration is sometimes a word will get better in meaning. Uh, and it can be something that's bad. It becomes a little bit less worse uh, or something that's that's good and gets to be even better uh, or something that's bad and gets to be good. So pedration, amelioration are the two directions that words go. And some words don't change that much over time. They have a pretty neutral meaning. But for obvious reasons, when you're talking about swear words, you're often going to see words that were at one time either neutral and down to being a bad word, or they were uh, at one time terrible words and have ameliorated their way to be less bad words today.
1: Correct, yeah. So, like, one word I came up with, uh, which is not medieval in origin, but, like, the word humbug.
0: Yes. Humbug
1: yeah. from, like, the 18th century, which meant, uh, like, garbage, meant uh, bullshit, mm-hmm. which, you know, we're swearing now. You say humbug today, no, one's, no one looks at you twice if you say humbug. In fact, they might look at you twice like, oh, who is this Victorian-era right. d- dandy using a term, like, humbug, walking around? So, that that would be a word, like, uh, ameliorates.
0: That's right, and so lots of words will do this all the time. So, a couple of words that have pedrated over time. So, just to get right into it, and these I think are kind of parallel are uh, shit and cunt. Uh, these two words. Oh. Oh yes. Bringing out the big ones. Yes. Well, you know we gotta we gotta bring them <laughs> out right away.
1: We got to. Yes. Yeah. Full disclosure, cunt is my favorite swear word, so we're gonna we're gonna have to. <laughs> Start with the big one first. Well,
0: I know this is your favorite swear word because I have a little story to tell. So back in the olden days, uh, back when pictures were in black and white uh, and uh, (laughs) man had not yet landed on the moon. uh, This is I'm exaggerating a little bit by many decades. Damn,
1: dating me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: When Nina was in my class, uh, we ended up having to talk about some things in class that involved. Uh, swearing, And at that time, Mina was also my student assistant at that time. And one day she had said, like, all these kinds of curse words had just kind of come up naturally in class. And she challenged me and said, mm-hmm. I will bet that you cannot work the word cunt into class without it being gratuitous. And so I took...
1: This, this is why it's good to be an English major, because you can say these kinds of things. You can say the these class, kinds but, of
0: things, yeah. yes. And so... I took the challenge. I actually thought I wouldn't be able to. Uh, but when I saw my opening, I went for it. And uh, uh, some weeks later, we were challenge in class. accepted. Yes. And we were talking about <laughs> uh, fablios, which are these kind of medieval, uh, racy stories. A lot of bathroom humor in them. And I started talking about one particular, about how they're almost always about peasants. But there are a few about knights. And I described one. And then I got to tell you that the modern English title of this one uh, is The Knight Who Could Talk to Cunts and Assholes. So, and then, uh, as I recall, you stood up in class and started slow I clapping. Did. And everyone in the class was just, uh, we are aware something has happened here, but we don't know what it, <laughs> what it is. Uh, so, if any of them are now listening and wondering, oh, that's what happened that day That's what it is. <laughs> yes. Anyway, but in fact, the word... Cunt, just like the word shit, in the Middle Ages doesn't appear to have been a bad word, so much of a bad word. The word shit, in fact, we see uh, referring to not just feces, but uh, sometimes it's associated with, with diarrhea. So it might have been kind of explosive feces. And so you can imagine how, why shit became uh, an obscenity over time because it's mm-hmm. just disgusting and so i think that's one good example because in all, in mo- many languages words that tend to pedrate if you have a new word for any kind of human waste especially it's going to pedrate and so shit goes from just being you know a word referring to uh, manure like animal manure or diarrhea it then becomes something disgusting so it could very well be the case that in 100 years or 200 years diarrhea would be a phrase that you couldn't say on t or a word you couldn't say on tv and i think cunt is a good example of this too uh now chaucer does use the word cunt in um or it's middle english progenitor pardon the pun (laughs) uh he he does use it in the wife of bath's tale uh which almost always gets euphemized in translations yes it does Uh, Mm -hmm. And it is clear in there that that's a racy story but the 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 word is often used there's actually in some place names and people names things that are associated with it so sometimes you'll see uh, maybe small place names or or names that have the word count or cont c o n t in them
1: not the same often
0: those are associated with the word cont right uh, and they become over time those have definitely pedurate over time. So, and that's a word that's sexual. And so sexual words have a tendency to, to like, like this.
1: But I think also culture is also the context here. Yes. Like cunt is a very strong curse word in American English. Yes. It's not so much in British English or Australian English. Like our Australian friends say cunt 12 times before breakfast right. and it's like a term of endearment. Mm-hmm. So we, we keep that in mind that you and I as Americans, it's, there's a context of, oh God, is this, this is a really bad word. We, for me, I, I say the C word all the time. Yeah. Whether I'm referring to it as part of a body, my body, or I'm just saying it as an expletive. It's there's some shock behind it or whether you're across the pond or across the other side of the pond, you're just saying it. Oh, ah, you can't. You know, that's a terrible Australian accent. I'm sorry. (laughs) But there's also context in terms of culture. We got to keep that in mind.
0: Yeah. And it's funny. I've I've been in some situations where maybe a group of medievalists were around and we were from from various countries and. Maybe a British medievalist will will just in casual conversation use the word cunt, and then suddenly will get this look on their face and turn to the oh, Americans and yes. say, like, oh, I'm sorry, realizing that, like, maybe they've offended the Americans. While well, the Americans, there's always this moment of having to skip a beat like, OK, they meant that to be much less strong than it sounded to 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 us. So,
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: So sexual words do have a tendency to pedrate over time. Uh, but as you point out, like all of this has to do with different, uh, with all sorts of different cultural forces. Mm-hmm. Now, one really interesting one, I think is the word cock. And the reason cock is interesting, it's, it's harder to trace than maybe it would seem at first glance. And because at first glance, when we look at cock, we find that from, it's of course, associated with this idea of the, the, the rooster, Right. And yeah. the idea of a rooster being a cock, uh, this word engineer, Mike is now dancing, uh, uh in front of <laughs> the camera. Mike is- <laughs> he loves engineer. Mike loves the word cock. I'll just say, as en- we
1: said, look at cock. Nobody yes.
0: loves cock. Like engineer. Mike loves cock. <laughs> in any case,
1: cut that out of the podcast.
0: <laughs> in any case, uh, I'm going to have to call my children to make sure they don't listen to this episode. <laughs> uh,
1: don't listen to the podcast where we talk about cock for 10 minutes, <laughs> yes. but go ahead. Anyway. Cock. You were saying about cock?
0: About cock. The word for cock, of course, is associated with the, with the rooster, right? And so you can see that. Yeah. The complicated thing though, is we have this all sorts of Indo-European languages, you know, Sanskrit, French. I mean, you just sort of go through the Indo-European tree and you can find words for the rooster cock all over the place. And at First, it seems like, well, it all must come from a very, very early origin. The tricky part about that one is that one's an onompa- onomatopoeic word. It appears that the mm-hmm. word cock comes from the sound that a rooster makes. And so you can very easily see the same sound coming up in many different languages independently. So probably this is a very, very old word. Certainly the associations between the word cock in all these different languages and the penis are really ancient My best guess, and I think most linguists would say the best guess, is that they are all interrelated, but it's a little challenging to say uh, for sure.
1: I'm surprised they didn't go into this in the Dick episode of the History of Swear Words. They just completely ignored cock and just went after dick. Yeah, I... They they tied dick to writing crop, but they never really touched upon cock.
0: Yeah, I noticed that when they tied Sorry, Dick, I, when they tied Dick to riding crop, they had not the linguist saying that, but the comedian saying that part. And sometimes the the things that they <laughs> <laughs> Engineer Mike has no one to blame but himself when this takes a yes. long time to edit.
1: <laughs> I know <laughs> they, he's distracting us. Anyway, I
0: I, I don't know. I, I'd have to see that the tying it to riding crop seemed very. I'm not too confident of that. But I haven't researched that citation one that deeply. needed. Yes sure. Well, why don't we talk about, since we're already on that topic, before we get into the these other uh, words, why don't we talk about bitch? One of your favorite words. Uh,
1: I, bitch <laughs> is another one of my favorite words. And while we're on the subject of uh, pejoration, amelioration, bitch is another, is a unique word because it has both pejorated and now is starting to ameliorate. Mm-hmm. This book, which is going to be in my recommendations, where I know we're getting an early start on that, but the book I'm holding right now is called Word Slut. A feminist Guide to Taking Back the English Language by Amanda Montell. My friend Emily got this for me for Christmas. Thank you, Emily. She will like this shout out. Fantastic book where it talks about how um, the English language is very full of sexist language and how we can kind of take it back both as feminists and just as people in general. But Bitch has a very controversial history in that it started off as possibly a gender-neutral word for genitals, depending on how uh, linguists want to approach it. And then... Became this term for, you know, a dog bitch and then morphed into pejorative word for a amoral promiscuous woman in around the 1400s. And uh, now, in modern English, has been taken back by women to say, no, I'm a powerful woman, I'm, I'm a bitch, I'm this. I'm someone who's in control of their body, their sexuality, their, their life choices, and the like. Bitch is controversial with feminists. Some women say, no, I don't like to be called this. I, I refuse to be called this. Other women say, no, 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 I'm fine being called this. I'm fine being called this in the in the proper context. I'm fine being called this amongst only select women. I'm kind of in that category. Like I only have about two friends where we're very comfortable saying, okay, yeah, bitch, this bitch, that. I do not like being called this by other people. I, I don't identify as being a general bitch, not at all. <laughs> but, I can, so I it, can
0: attest that she is not a general yes. bitch, not, not neither basic nor deluxe.
1: Oh, <laughs> one of the nicest things you've ever said to me <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's interesting and i wanted to ask you about the the medieval history of this word because I we know about bitcha yeah where are the roots the medieval roots in that
0: so i mean in english certainly bitcha means female at first it's not really female just of dogs but it It's other animals like foxes. I think there's a reference to tiger bitches, this kind of thing. They tend to be dog-like in some way, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it quickly just becomes really something we really only associate with dogs. Now, you know, as you were saying that, it occurs to me that, uh, say, for example, in Andreas Capulainis' The Art of Courtly Love, he's talking about men who are very sexually promiscuous and he refers to them as dogs or asses. And then later on, meaning Ooh. meaning like donkey asses, that kind of ass. Yeah. And then later on, uh, he again refers to them as dogs. And I wonder too, you talking about this kind of attempt to reclaim bitch. There was this mm-hmm. moment, I'd say, in the '90s when you'd have men referring to one another as dog or d a w g dog. And I wonder mm-hmm. how parallel that idea. Uh, Calling someone a horn dog or this is this association of being sexually promiscuous. But I I think one thing that happens with bitch in in modern English is it moves just from being about sexually promiscuous women to being um, an unpleasant woman. So, for example, the, the the lexical space today, that's the space that's partially occupied by. Karen, if you might refer to someone as Karen.
1: Oh yeah. Two years yeah.
0: ago, you might have just called. You might have said she's a bitch, which wouldn't have been an association with her being, except for just being a woman. It would have been associated with, yeah. with her being uh, sexual. Whereas dog, I don't think ever had that. Dog had the idea of being sexually promiscuous, maybe, not of being unpleasant. Now it is interesting. I remember watching television at the moment that the, both the words bitch and bastard were first said on network television. And that was on, I know what o- you're gonna say. on Moonlighting. Yes, this, this <laughs> yep, scene in Moonlighting. And, Moonlighting. and the, it, those were, that barrier was broken in the same scene. Uh, if you've never seen Moonlighting, I wish I could recommend that you watch it, but it's not available. Maybe you can buy the DVDs or something today. Uh, it's almost impossible to get a hold of. In that moment, it strikes me that the words bitch and bastard were seen as equivalents. Uh, at that moment, 1980, whatever, I going to say 1986 to eight, somewhere in there, but that's yeah. a guess. And of course, bastard is a way of saying, if you call someone a bastard, you're not talking about him being sexually promiscuous, but you are saying he's a jerk. He's mean, he's unpleasant in some way. I kind of feel like maybe the meanings of bitch for men get broken off into two totally separate categories in American English. And the dog gets reclaimed, and except for maybe dirty old bastard, there aren't many people out there who are trying to reclaim. Talking about old dirty bastard, old dirty bastard. Oh my gosh! Oh, Oh, that was embarrassing. How embarrassing! How embarrassing! (laughs) God! Oh my gosh! Oh, please don't, please don't, please don't write angry. uh... Oh my gosh! I cannot believe I just did that. That's that's embarrassing. Wu Tang ain't nothing to fuck with. Yes. Well, you know, is he not a member of the Wu Tang Club? He's dead. (laughs) i was uh, i mean
1: he's always he always is but you know tang he's forever. dead now we
0: tang forever All right. uh, anyway uh, moving on anyway so back on topic let me try to reclaim what's left of my dignity by by just saying the yes. word fuck as many times stay as in possible.
1: your lane talk about fuck there yes we let's go. talk about moving "fuck." Uh,
0: so many people have talked about fucking fuck is a really interesting word One of the things that they do on the Netflix special, like right out of the gate, I think within the first five minutes of the first episode, they get at this, uh, this acronym myth for, uh, the fornication under the consent of the King, or sometimes you'll hear for unlawful carnal knowledge. And that is, that is total bullshit. And and one general rule of thumb, by the way, in terms of folk etymologies is if it's fun and easy to understand, it's probably Probably not true. Right. It's probably not true. The, the one exception to that is that yes, sideburns are named after a guy named Burnside's who had big sideburns. (laughs) Uh, That, that is true. (laughs) Really? Yes. But, but most, but most of the time, you know, as soon as you hear a folk etymology, as soon as you hear an etymology, you're like, Oh, I get that. That's really easy to understand. It's almost always baloney. And this is a good example of this. And, we actually have in recent decades some really good research about fuck. Uh, and the word fuck tends to be, they, they briefly mention it in the Netflix series. It has to do with the idea of of thrusting or, stri- or, or piercing or striking in some way. And so you can mm-hmm. very easily see this idea of the process of fucking. Uh, and yeah. when you think about things like, giving someone the finger, that visual image, or in some, you know, biting your thumb at someone, as Shakespeare would say, or showing your thumb to someone in some cultures, these different ways that you use your hands to thrust at them, that's very much linguistically what's going on with the word fuck. And we see it in all sorts of languages where the word fuck doesn't exist, the word fuck itself has not come up to be an obscenity in their language, but they do have words for for, for a blow or a strike or something along those lines that come from the common descent words that, that fuck comes from now. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you asked earlier, oops, yeah. I think you asked off podcast, but I'll say what you asked. You asked about ameliorate yes. about medieval words that have ameliorated. That is to say they've, they've lost their bad meetings in the modern era. I did. Yeah. And it's a little hard sometimes to tell what's a bad word and what's not a bad word. So like we know, for example, that, uh, Kant is not a bad word in medieval English because it's used in medical uh, manuscripts, right? For example, mm-hmm. but there's a word which you'll often see medieval grad students when they, they learn it they like to use it. It's suive, suive, and and Chaucer uses this word. It's big in Middle English, and it's a it's it's an obscenity. It's the idea. It's it basically occupies the same the same space as as fuck occupies for us today, uh, and so because of that, when when WTF was a very common. I guess people might still say WTF today, but it, it, when it was sort of very mm-hmm. uh, popular to say that, medieval uh, grad students would sometimes have T-shirts. They'd sell these T-shirts that said WTS, and underneath it'd say What the Suive, uh, just to give you a sense of of what it means. So what's interesting about Suive is its earliest use is has to do with swinging something or drawing a sword. This idea of drawing a sword or swinging. And there's a kind of sense that swinging, that the back and forth swinging, like drawing the sword and, and waving Mimics it around. Mimics fucking. Yes. Right. And I very see, much. Okay. It's, the, it's the very same kind of thing. I did thing. something
1: very vulgar just then. Yes. I'm glad
0: you If you were here to <laughs> yeah. watch it. And so like modern English words, so Suive has dropped out of the language itself, but the modern English words for swinging, like swinging on a swing. That back and forth, we don't really, I think, think about that as a kind oh. of sexual thing. But that yeah. doesn't come from Suive exactly. That comes from the same origin, right? And So
1: so like the motions on a swing are sexual in nature,
0: yeah, kind of. Yes, kind okay. of. And we don't tend to think of it that way. It's so ameliorated, this idea of swinging is so ameliorated in that way. Though, of course, we do have this idea of swinging, that is to say being part of a couple that's hooking up with multiple other partners. It strikes me that that's associated with the idea of swing music and that the swing and swing music <laughs> might also be the same thing. And might It seems like English keeps wanting to get back to Suive. Like all these people who weren't coming directly from yeah. Suive want to get back to that. And An example that I realized while I was researching this. So years ago on Saturday Night Live, there was this, series of sketches called Wayne's World, which is made into a couple of movies, Wayne's World. And in Wayne's World, whenever they, Wayne and Garth, the two titular characters, I know this is 30 years old at this point, but whenever Wayne and Garth want to suggest that they're attracted to some woman, they express getting an erection by saying, swing, and kind of thrusting their (laughs) hips forward. They say, swing. The idea of swing, the sound as if they're drawing a sword, the sound their erection makes is like drawing a sword. That is exactly kind of the way that Suive comes up. So it's almost as if they were accidentally reworking out the the Middle English move from just drawing a sword to the to the word Suive, which is kind of their word for
1: fuck. So Wayne and Garth, medieval scholars. Wayne I and like Garth, this.
0: medieval scholars. Exactly. Perfect. So do you want to get to get into recommendations?
1: Let's go ahead and do that.
0: Why don't you start with yours? Because you already mentioned it.
1: I did. I already mentioned mine. Okay, again, Word Sled, A Feminist Guide to Taking Back the English Language by Amanda Montel. Fantastic book. Great chapters. I'm almost finished with it. Another chapter that I want to recommend in this book that I'm reading is about uh women who define themselves by their cursing and as you know and probably you could tell by this podcast uh, I do swear quite a bit you won't be able to tell on the other podcast but yeah I do kind of define myself by how much I swear and it's interesting to figure out why and I never really thought about why i i do that but please pick this book up and give it a read it's really fascinating and then my second recommendation which i i I hope you saw that i snuck in there i saw it uh (laughs) this whole show history of swear words on netflix put me in such a nick cage mood i had to watch this from 1997 it's face off nick cage and john travolta (laughs) Sorry, I just, okay, this is such a strange movie. I'm not going to go into the details of everything, but basically John Travolta and Nick Cage are rivals. John Travolta is an FBI agent who is tracking Nicolas Cage, who is a terrorist of some sort. I think he's a terrorist. He plants bombs. Yeah. He plants bombs around Los Angeles and blows shit up. I could still say shit. We're not you done can with say the podcast. Say shit today, yes. John Travolta is uh, trying to track down Nicolas Cage because he killed his little boy. The only way to find the <laughs> the big bomb that Nicolas Cage has planted is to wear Nicolas Cage's face, <laughs> and that's where the whole face in face off comes from. Uh, this movie is not. Great, but if you understand that this is a John Woo directed movie, John Woo, who got his claim to fame for directing the Hong Kong action movies, which is a very specific genre of high action, lots of explosion, lots of melodrama for, you know, dudes and all that, uh, then it makes sense. I highly recommend this movie. It's on Hulu as of this recording. Please watch it if you're into that sort of thing. It is just. A cavalcade of explosions and <laughs> swearing and Nicolas Cage going into a cage rage. Um, <laughs> that was that was perfect. Just shut up. That was a wonderful <laughs> Nicolas Cage impression.
0: I, I didn't think it was an impression. I thought Nicolas Cage had joined us on the podcast today. <laughs> I have a uh, uh, my recommendation. So, you know, I trashed this Netflix series. But I did say <laughs> that there were two women who I thought were really good in it. And one of them is Melissa Moore, and I want to recommend uh, her book, which is called Holy Shit, A Brief History of Swearing. And in the title, Holy Shit, the I in shit is uh, asterisk, so it's holy S-H asterisk T, uh, and Moore is M-O-H-R. So I do recommend it. Uh, I thought she was great on the the Netflix series. If I could just watch her and the lexicographer uh, talk about this. Instead, I would have very much enjoyed that, uh, but I I do recommend her work.
1: I'm glad there was some good out of this this series. Yeah, I'm disappointed that she didn't get too much entertainment out of it, but oh well. <laughs> I also there am was Nicholas Cage. Yes, that was good. <laughs> all right, final thoughts.
0: Well, I hope you all have enjoyed hearing us say all the fucking shit that we said today, because we're not likely to say it again on future podcasts. That's,
1: that's correct. Uh, my final thoughts are: one, never bring a bitch to a cunt fight. <laughs> And, um, two, uh, I just want to be the last person to say fuck on this podcast, so <laughs> there we go.
0: <laughs> west through Hall, Nina.
1: Ah, uh, West through fucking Hall, Doc.
0: <laughs> Pop and Evil was recorded under in the studio. The hosts are Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and, and Luna Mac. Our audio engineer is Engineer Mike. The music is courtesy of Dr. John Ginwright. For more information, visit our website at profawesome.com slash evil. That's P R O F. Awesome dot com slash pop Thank you for listening. Did they ever tell you about the the discussion I had with when I lived in Lithuania about Russian swear words and Lithuanian swear words? No. So uh, one day I was talking with my a, a good friend of mine Jonas, who's Lithuanian, and the town I lived in was about a third Lithuanian, about a third Russian, and a third. Other, mostly Polish in that. I forget how it came up, but Jonas, some Russian said something and Jonas said like, ugh, those Russians are so disgusting. And I said, <laughs> uh, why Why do you say that? Damn. And he said, their swear words are, are disgusting. They're terrible. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, uh, well, he goes, L- uh, Russian swear words are all like, your mother has sex with animals and, and it's just <laughs> gross, disgusting stuff. And he says, ours is just like, which means literally the devil with you. Yeah. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, there we go. And it was, I think the next day without any prompting from me, I'm talking to a Russian and he brings up the same thing. And he says, these Lithuanians are so terrible. Their curse words are so awful. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, he said, their curse words are all like, may you go to hell and burn with the devil. Ours are just about <laughs> your mother having sex with animals. <laughs>
1: So there's like a difference in, you know, blasphemy versus bestiality.
0: Yes, I think so. And and which is considered worse in the culture. They both, they both perceived the other ones. It wasn't, they actually used the exact same examples, but each one saw the Mm -hmm. others as grosser in some way. So.